This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go today we are sitting down with somebody shorter than me which isn't saying much but uh, he's my business partner at the Elk Collective. He owns Apex Advertising, and he is a world-class public land whitetail hunter. He's also a really good elk hunter. But for whitetails, John Gabriel is my dude, and we're going to sit and geek out about whitetails on an elk hunting podcast. So if you're not into it, go ahead. I'm just going to warn you right now. This is all whitetail, and it's kind of northwest mountain buck whitetail hunting, which is a different style for sure with a lot of same characteristics or principles that you would imagine for normal whitetail hunting if you're hunting farm country, Midwest, what have you. This podcast is brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Check out my discount code OAKSHAPE20, 20% off your next purchase. Load up on your layers. Vortex Optics out of Wisconsin. Onyx, become an elite member, of course. Discount code OAKSHAPE, take 20% off. Become an elite member, get access to Top Rut, Hunt Reminder, Hunt and Fool's digital publication. Lots of value there. Plus, Onyx is the most robust, but not the longest. Matthews Archery Phase 4, 29 and 33 for 2023. I cannot wait. I've already got the chance to 
shoot a deer with the phase four. I'm super stoked on it. I am probably gonna hunt with the 29 cause I am short draw length and that fits me well. I love packing that around in the elk mountains. So when it comes to spotting scopes or even binoculars, if you want a digiscope, check out MagView. It's slick little design that can slap on your phone with a magnet, no silly phone case. Discount codes, elk shape takes 10% off. MagView, super clean and elevate your digiscoping game. Kifaru International, Crispy USA, Wilderness Athlete. We just got a new discount code. It is ElkShape23 for 20% off your purchase. Should have it on the website by now, but there's an Elk Shape stack if you want to know what I take. Spy Point USA, Marsupial, Baku e-bikes, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Fatty Meat Sticks, Sheep Feet, Black Ovis, Rep Fitness, Crossover Symmetry, Alien Gear. And without further ado, this is John Gabriel, and you're listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. What's up, friends? Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast, sitting down with my homeboy, John Gabriel. How are you, bud? Uh, I'm good, you know. Um, just over here, ex- new life experiences in Montucky right now. It's negative uh, 49 outside with the wind chill and uh, just trying to survive. So I'm uh, a little thankful I'm not sitting in a tree stand right now. But, um, you know, that'd be a little chilly. But, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm a little under the weather, so sorry my voice sounds what it, it is what it is but uh we're doing this because we're talking about whitetail hunting today uh from a western angle so john and i both kind of cut our teeth here in washington state hunting whitetails that's what started my hunting process was got my hunter safety when i was 10 hunting with the old 30 30 by age 11 with my dad going to deer camp which was by diamond lake which is a couple hours north of Wash, uh, spokane here Hunting in the snow with my dad, rutting mule deer or rutting whitetails. And man, I think I probably a couple years into it, I killed a, a buck that was worthy of mounting. Like I actually mounted, shoulder mounted him. And that was my first kill. And I don't think I've ever felt more proud than that day. And all the guys at camp slapping my back and high-fiving. And uh, it started it started off for me. When did you first start whitetail hunting, John? Um, I think I was about, oh had to be about 16, 17 years old. I didn't get a start as early. I grew up hunting blacktails and Roosevelt elk out on the coast. So for me, it was um, a little different learning curve. You know, I mean, trying to you know, wily old blacktail and ferns that were over my head and you couldn't even hardly see them. So, I mean, you know, it is what it is there, but started the same age as you did. And um, actually drew a doe tag my first year and ended up getting this blacktail doe. And dude, I was so freaking proud of that thing. I mean, it was like, I didn't even care, you know? And, um, yeah, then the whitetail thing kind of took off my dad. I had a friend that used to come over your neck of the woods and hunt whitetails and invited my dad over. And then, you know, Hey, you should come over and try this. So went over and did it. And, uh, I I was in high school. I think I was a sophomore or something junior in high school. And of course at that time it was tough because school and you're in school during the fall and trying to dedicate the time that it takes to be successful over there was really tough for me back then. Um, so, you know, went through a, a lot of years of tough love, I guess you want to put it that way. And, you know, just grinding it out and making do with what I could. And then, um, you know, and I went from there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it and I knew it was something I was passionate about. I think I killed a white tailed doe my first year over there, actually. And uh, I was proud of that thing because I finally, you know, it was like with a bow, like, this is cool. I'm doing it. 
And, and um, I went through the the struggles of, you know, just killing little basket rack bucks. You know, it's like everybody, you know, is all, oh, big bucks, this and that. And it's like, dude, at the time, like, I didn't even care. I'm like, you know, I just, I wanted to have success and I was in the heck out of it. And it was more the entire hunt than it was like what the antlers were at the end of it. You know, it was like everything I was able to learn along the way and just notch a tag. And my dad always would be like, Hey, like shoot one with your bow, you know, it's practice and just get one and build that confidence. And I'll be honest, there was a lot of years that then when I first started shooting those little like three point basket rack bucks or, you know, well, depending where other people are talking, heck, you could even classify it as an eight point or a Dirk Durham, a four by four, whatever, four point. Um, I always say three with eye guards, but, uh, we can have a long debate on the whole scoring thing, but anyways, I'm, I'm kind of thankful, honestly, that I had those years of shooting the smaller deer because I still got excited and, you know, pumped to do it as when I got my chance to shoot my first like big kind of mature buck with a bow, had I not had the practice of shooting some of the smaller ones and angles out of the tree stand and everything else, dude, I don't know. Like maybe I would have whiffed it, you know, my first big one, you know, like when I finally got a chance to kill one, um, like I, I felt like, you know, I was ready, but it was like, I had years that I'd already punched the time clock and spent a lot of time. I don't know. So yeah, started about then though. Uh, it was tough. And then once obviously I was out of high school and into college and stuff like that. Um, you know, I had time I could dedicate and then my business and starting my business and everything else. I knew I wanted to hunt and, uh, and a lot of time out there, whitetail hunting or hunting in general, but I'll be honest, it was kind of focused around whitetail hunting back then. I was like, I want to be able to take 10 days, two weeks. Like I want to go do this. And, uh, I mean, I did. And once I got hooked, then it was like, okay, I'm spending all my time in November, like late October, November, like this is all I'm doing. And, um, man, it's kind of the, the rest is history since, I mean, it's, it's something I still do every year and like trying to hunt another state or two, like in November, I'm always, how do I plan this whole whitetail thing? That's going to work out around, you know, like these other hunts, like how, how can I make this work and make it fit? Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, it's definitely my passion. I'd say this year more than ever, I've kind of come to a realization and, uh, it kind of goes with what you just said there. Like, uh, I usually don't like whitetail hunting here in my hometown of Spokane. That means like pretty much I'll hunt anywhere. Eastern Washington could be from here to the Canadian border. Right. And I've just kind of always put that hunt on the back burner in the last five or six years. After I've, I killed a couple of really dandies in the mountains, I really just was like, okay, maybe I don't want to spend my time doing this. I want to maybe like spend more time chasing mule deer in the rut with a bow or, or whatever. But this year I come to realize that I love this shit. I don't want to sacrifice. I want to put more work into whitetail hunting. I get off on it. I like trying to hunt a really mature deer. And I like the, um, it's not a score thing. It's never, ever going to be a score thing for me, but it's a maturation thing. It's it's really playing chess, um, and sometimes it feels like it's checkers, honestly, and meaning that I get my ass handed to me. So um, with that being said, I think, I think I'm going to double down on whitetails and get a little more serious about my year-round scouting and whatnot just because I, I do like it. 
Um, and I do find it to be very challenging and it doesn't get old to me. And then I look at your situation where you're now a Montana resident, have been for a couple of years now. You're still coming to Washington, paying an insane amount of money, gas and time to come hunt. Not that great of a state. Um, what's your deal, man? Why are you obsessed with whitetails? What is it? Yeah, you know, like, I think the biggest thing, I mean, obviously a deer tag is not cheap over there. And I mean, I, I could go to other states way cheaper. Heck, I could probably go to the Midwest, honestly, for the amount of time and money that I spend going back to Washington for as low density deer numbers and predators and everything else that there are there. Dude, I could all that time and money and go to the Midwest and literally probably pay someone and go on a guided hunt or go hunt their farm and be in a way better position and probably hunt bigger bucks. I'm not, I mean, I'm not, not going to deny that, or at least certainly a crop of those in 40 to 50, 60 bucks, like way more of those than we're lucky to even see one, you know? Um, so I think to me, it is the physical, the mental struggle that comes along with being over there. I don't like easy and that that's always kind of been my thing. Like I've always put in a lot of work at whatever I do and like have a lot of pride in how hard that I work for things. And I think that that's what drives me to keep coming back is because one, I'm not hunting them in a farm field. I'm hunting them in the mountains. And so I, you know, it's like, I love mountains. I love the mountain hunting. Um, and then trying to figure out those bucks and, and everything versus, you know, just, oh, hey, they're going to line up in this string of trees, go hang your stand the wind right and just go sit and like, you know, I mean, there's obviously more to it than that. But like, I, to me, it is the whole, the whole game and the experience, you know, it's like, and I think it's one of those things too. We all have those things that we did, you know, as a younger, you know, adolescent I guess like childhood or like teenage years or or whenever what at some point in our life and we did it with family members and friends and it kind of hooks you you know and it's like you know there's certain things that we hunt and you try to go back and do every year because it's those core memories that you have and you're like man like I love this and this is just such a like experience and great time that regardless of whatever else happened, I want to go back and do that over again, because I just want to have that experience and share it with the people that I care about, you know? Um, so that being said though, I, I don't, to me, the money it's yes, it's expensive. It is what it is. And a lot of people probably call me nuts. And of course, then I'm still trying to draw my elk tag over and it's just burning a hole in my pocket. But, uh, I, I really enjoy like, everything about that. And I think like you said, um, the challenge of trying to kill a mature mountain buck or whitetail, I mean, doesn't say I've been the mountains over there, but just like where I'm at and you know, the area I'm in, it's like trying to kill one of those deer is super tough. And it's like, I feel like I can go hunt other States. I can go hunt mule deer. I can go do, you know, that, that whole game to me, a mule deer, yes, a big mature mule deer, depending where you're hunting them, can be difficult. And, you know, some of the guys, you know, look at the Lampers or a Brady Miller or whatever. And I mean, dude, they hack it. Like they are so far back in the backcountry doing it. And uh, that's, that's awesome. And I'm not saying that that's not difficult, but I feel like playing the chess game with a big mature whitetail buck is so much harder than a mule deer. Like, I, you know, 
a mule deer, you might see them once. And if you have a rifle in your hand or whatever, or even a bow, but you're able to go make a stock and go kill that thing. Like to me anyways, like I've had really good luck with mule deer and pretty much killed any of the big ones that I've ever seen, but I've had a lot of opportunities on a freaking big white tails that have came in, went behind the tree, eluded me, spooked when I'm trying to even draw my bow, um, way more than I can even count. And it's like that, that in itself is why I go back. I think is, is I just love that challenge and trying to be on the equal chess game as that deer, you know? So I feel you on the checkers part though, dude, like this year was freaking brutal and I got my ass handed to me. So, um, <laughs> what it is. So the Washington state angle is not like the main point of this podcast, but it's where I draw my, um, most of my knowledge on whitetail hunting is just learned from experiencing Washington. Now I've, I've been able to jam over to Idaho and, and hunt, you know, whitetails in November when the gun season's still going on. Idaho kind of sucks that way. They're pretty like, they're pretty dang liberal with their deer season um, for rifle. So it's gotten really hard uh, to the point where I don't even like, well, you used to be able to buy a tag over the counter. Can't do that anymore. You got to like decide December 1st if you can get in. And so I don't, I don't hunt Idaho deer anymore for a whitetail tree stand, but I had some success and on public land and it was, it's a state where you cannot bait. So it's, it's a lot of pinch point funnel scrapes, mock scrapes, like that kind of thing. And it was still mountain buck hunting, which is my preference, to be honest. But um, in Washington, you can bait. So I guess we got to just elephant in the room. Let's talk about baiting for a second. Um, not too long ago, Washington kind of made an addendum to their baiting rule to where they put a like a container uh, or a ceiling. And it said, I believe it reads 10 gallons is, is most you can have on the ground at any given time. Um, do you Do you know why they did that? Well, I, I mean, I don't know specifically. I think the rumor that went around was there were some outfitters that were up in the north central part of the state that were dumping dump truck loads of apples for mule deer and trying to suck in a lot of the mule deer and whatnot. And then tons of alfalfa and stuff out for those deer too, um, like bales on bales. And so I think that that is where it stemmed from. I'm not, I think there was a lot of people complaining about that because they have some of those general over the counter late season archery hunts up there for mule deer that you can go do. And I think a lot of the guys were getting frustrated because they were sucking all these bucks and deer and does. I mean, if the does are there, the bucks are going to follow onto these private property pieces. And of course, when you're dumping a truckload of apples, I mean, dude, that's, I mean, you're going to have every freaking deer in the area eating your, eating your, so it's like, the the whitetail hunters that that were baiting and you know i highly doubt that it had anything to do with them um i i mean i've heard people talk about you know oh it's cwd and this and that but dude i don't know the amount of bait that any whitetail hunter that i know puts out one most of the whitetail hunters are either a hiking a considerable distance off the road to where you're not gonna you know want to pack that much anyways, or physically be able to pack that much without making a handful of trips, which sucks. I mean, I'll be honest. And, um, so I don't know. It's it, and the other thing too, is like the deer densities aren't there in my opinion for the white tails, like in spots, maybe. And if you're closer down to like a farm field or something, sure. But some of the places that some of the guys that I know hunt, 
it's like, dude, I mean, if you put out 10 gallons of bait, like truly stuff to five gallon buckets, absolutely full, like, and dump that those deer can't even eat that crap fast enough without it getting rained on or, you know, snow or whatever, like, you know, and it destroying the alfalfa and like whatever. Um, I don't know. That's the thing. Like I've always, it's puzzled me a little because it's like, they can't eat that stuff quick enough. And so I just, I guess like, I don't know. I mean, I get the, I get the, the 10 gallon thing and for certain areas, like the mule deer thing and like all that, like I, yes. Do I think that's a great thing to hold the deer and help them, you know, move off in the Hills for some other people to hunt? Yeah, I, I do. But I mean, the, the, it's really to me a non-concern for whitetails because you don't even need that much freaking bait, like one five gallon buck time, like you got plenty. So yeah. Yeah. I generally use a five gallon, like an actual five gallon bucket, and I carry it with me to the set. Um, I've seen some crazy stuff baiting, but there's a lot of things in Washington you gotta kind of like you just have to know the rules every state. Um, the thing for me when it comes to for late season is that in, in, in our state, especially I have to watch all the Midwest guys go hard in the paint into October. And then you see them like the bucks just start hitting the ground around Halloween, a couple days prior, you know, the first cold front really. And then it's just the Midwest rut just cranks so hard that first week in November. And I'm over here looking at our deer and the big bucks are still in like the thick stuff. They're separated. Maybe they're staging, but they're not running, checking scrapes like crazy quite yet. And and this is just my observation, so I would like to get yours, obviously. I don't see a lot of chasing, at least on cameras, and I run a lot of cameras until the middle of the month, sometimes third week. And it's like, why does the northwest corner rut start so late? I mean, it is late here. Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. And I mean, this year I think was like the epitome of that, you know, it was like, I was over there. I thought I'd hit it. Perfect timing, hunted Montana. We killed our deer. And I was like, you know, I'm going five days later than I normally go. And I was like, oh, this is going to be money. Like deer are going to be running everywhere. Snow on the ground, cold as crap. I mean, it just had the makings of the best year ever. And the deer weren't even doing anything the week. So I hunted, I was there for like nine days, 10 days, whatever came back and literally had a buddy over there. It's running cell camera. And like the next couple of days, boom, deer just started just running everywhere, showing up in the daylight all over. And the crazy thing, coincidentally this year, I mean, that was like the last few days of the month. And yeah, you know, I had, you know, and my buddy even like sending me pictures, dude, three, four days of December this year. And those deer were like finally in the rut doing their thing hard and like going, but I, I would agree. I will say like back in like the 2005, six, seven, eight era back when, uh, I feel like I'm dating myself here, um, <laughs> but like back in those, those years, I feel like the weather was a little different. It was colder. We got a lot of snow. Um, I remember, you know, I mean, my dad talking about this one where he drove up back then and there was like two feet of snow on the ground, like plowing snow with his bumper overnight, which I felt like this year was one of those years of pretty comparable. Cause I heard guys couldn't even get to their stands because the snow is two feet deep. So I was like, well, we're, we're golden, but, um, 
I do. It's weird because if you look across the line, they say that or like the upper two thirds, third or whatever, upper two thirds of the U.S., they say that like 80% of the deer run between like November 6th and the 8th or 9th or something like that. Or like 80% of them are something are in estrus, their first estrus cycle, I think is what it is. I'd have to okay. brush up on that. So that being said, makes sense. I get those deer in Washington ain't no way. Like, no, I am not buying it that they are in estrus between that sixth and eighth or ninth or whatever that is. No way. I mean, I would, you would see so much more activity on the cameras. You would see everything. I just, I'm not buying it. I don't understand why that corner, because it's like, dude, you are up. I mean, it's, we're close to Canada. Spokane to Canada is what? Two, three hours. Yeah. Two hours. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, dude, you're, you're close and why, you know, I, I don't know. So it's always been a mystery to me. And, but I do feel like the middle of the month to later in the month, it gets better. And that Thanksgiving week, I feel like is definitely kind of the, like your, your hot ticket. We, if you're going to hunt them, my opinion. Yeah. I would say generally I get like that really mature deer to daylight somewhere right around that 22nd of November would be like, I would say plus or minus two days. And there was a time period when I first started bow hunting in this state, when the late season opened over here around the 20th and I don't, and then they moved it back five days. But when I started, it was get to your stand, rattle the horns. And dude, I mean, I sucked at archery. I would miss, I, I don't know how many bucks I've missed with a bow, complete target panic. It took me a full, I don't know, a couple years to finally arrow a buck. Um, but I, I missed some dandies just from thankfully clean misses, but you know, just, and then they moved it back to the 25th. And so I do still believe like that is the sweet spot right around the 22nd. I'll have some daylighters like November 10th through the 15th. And I really rely heavily on video trail camera. I have pictures are cool, but I like videos to be 10 to 30 seconds long and then to lay out and really just like look at the behavior, look at the hawks, look at the neck, look at the attitude and try to decide the age and um, what are they doing? Are they cruising? Are they sniffing? Are they staging? And, uh, and go from there. But um, what I want to get out of this podcast is, okay, let's say they came, they come up here to Northwest because it is over the counter and it could be an option for people. And I don't, I'm not worried about promoting whitetail hunting to the detriment, like, of myself. Like, I don't, I'm not selfish like that. I don't, I don't, I believe there's plenty of opportunity here. Um, let's say you're going to key in on Washington or the Northwest area. So let's go Western Montana, Northern Idaho, Eastern Washington, and potentially even like maybe Eastern Oregon. Okay. We'll kind of call that our hub. We're talking about Northwest whitetails. Let's start with dates that you would select. And then, um, Let's start working our way backwards to figure out where to hang stands. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When to hang stands, when to scout. I'm like, I want you to kind of work your way backwards, reverse engineer it, if you will, and get into your brain a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I think like that Northeast Oregon stuff there, dude, there's, there's some cranker bucks down there. Um, oh, yeah. and I, you know, and I think a lot of people like from there, even in Southeast Washington, dude, there's, there's some big freaking whitetails granted a lot of that's that loose country. Um, might have to draw a tag in some of that, but there yeah. is, there is some good deer. Um, a lot of farm fields, a lot of private, that kind of this North say Northeast Oregon up, to the Canadian border over to Idaho, Montana, Northwest Montana. Um, I think if, if I was first just looking at dates and just because I've hunted all pretty much all that, and I know, uh, people that, you know, do the Northwest Montana thing every year, I would personally, if it was me, uh, thing you got it, you're going to have run into in like Montana as it closes, you know, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So some years could be around the, you know, 24th, 5th, 6th, like lose some days. Uh, I would be going over probably around the 18th. Like if I had to like pick a time frame that I was like, okay, I only have a week or like 10 days to go. I'm going to, I'm showing up on the 18th, 19th somewhere. And I'm going to hunt, you know, like until closest to the 30th as I could, like somewhere right in that, that window, probably going to miss Thanksgiving with the other half. So she better be with you or be okay with you going and, you know, being gone. So yeah. let's, let's throw that out there because you're, you're definitely, you better have someone supportive on your side during that time. Um, so that, that's the first thing I'd be looking at is like, okay, what dates can I swing? How am I, can I miss Thanksgiving? How close is home? That type of thing, um, to figure out travel time and, and, and whatnot. So I'm, I'm looking at those first off. Um, and then from there, depending on tag availability, um, that's a key because right now, if you think about the Montana thing, you got to draw the general big game combo as a non-resident to even get a tag. So then you're going to use your deer tag going there. And a lot of guys want to hunt mule deer over East. So it's like, if you want to do the white tail thing, you're probably going to honestly have a lot of the woods up there by yourself. So maybe it could be a good use of your deer tag, I guess, if you want to put it that way. Um, but it is a spendy tag. So you got to think 1200 bucks for an elk deer combo in Montana. And then, you know, so you got that going against you, Idaho, uh, you know, well, depending on the leftover, if there's any tags and you know, whatnot, I mean, they, the way that they're doing their whole system now, I feel like that that's getting a little tougher too, with the whole, even just picking up a panhandle deer tag, um, which I think runs, correct me if I'm wrong, but like units 10 or 12 or something, or no, it's low, low, but whatever nine through nine yeah one through nine yeah yeah up in the panhandles um for deer i mean but that dude there's so much country because what's where's nine like orfino area or grangeville or something like in that area I think. yeah and then it runs yeah, all the so way to nine's canadian gonna border. be just north of the lolo okay so then that runs all the way to the canadian border i mean dude there's mm-hmm. so much country up there through quarter lane sandpoint like all that stuff headed north i mean bonners 
yeah, yeah. Bonners, like, dude, there's so much country. If you could get a tag, obviously, I think there's more deer over there, but you are going to be dealing with rifle hunters. But if you're like, hey, I want to go and like, I'm going to rifle hunt, cool. Like, I mean, pick your gun up and go do it. Um, so I guess I would still be looking at those same dates, except I'd be pretty jacked if I had a rifle in my hand. I'm not going to deny that. But um, the other thing, then you come to Washington, you got to look because there's some units that open a little earlier and some that open later. And so it's like, there's a handful that are open there. Well, let me back They're open early, but for rifle season. And then if you want to archery hunt, they don't open until whatever the 24th, 25th or somewhere in there. So you, you, you have to pick a tag. So obviously we got to clarify that because you got to pick a rifle or an archery tag Washington. And so, unless you have the, uh, uh, what's multi, the multi-season. multi-season. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to, you'd have to have that. And then, um, but if you don't, if you're just coming out of state, then you got to pick archery or rifle, figure out where you're going to go. Um, so I guess I'd be looking at those dates and then try to figure that out. Um, and then it's a lot of homework, man, dude. I mean, yeah. I mean, but you know, it's like, I've spent so many years like researching all this stuff and like hunting it and, you know, doing it. And of course you have too. it's not something that you're just going to pick up day one is like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to do this. I mean, you are going to, let's be honest. Like you're going to spend a lot of time just figuring out units, dates, tags. I need, where can I even go? Like all that stuff. You're going to have a day full day in that before you could even like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And now let's dive into hunting spots. Well said. Now, I guess let's start with when do you put boots on the ground? Because I think that's going to be not, not a must, but not a must, but a strong should. Let's say you could afford the opportunity to come over and do some scouting. Is that something you want to do in October? Um, Is that something that you want to come over in the summertime? Like when, and then how do you, how do you scout proper? Yeah. So I think for me, if I had never been there before, and I guess this comes back to having spent years upon years of doing this would be, I would be over there in like April or May if the snow was gone or at least somewhat gone to where I could hike around, I would make my very first scouting trip in the spring, late spring. And the reason being is the grass generally probably hasn't grown up full yet so it's like you still get some of that dead grass in the timber or certain areas i'd be looking for scrapes because you can still see scrapes and trails at that time of year and especially if the snow hasn't melted you'll still be able to see like they're a heavy traveled deer trail like potentially depending on what the melt is but rubs because a lot of the bark like if it if they rub you know in november like when they're rutting and whatnot will be on the snow and then it starts to melt, like you'll see those fresh like rub mark or uh, shavings still on the ground as the snow is melting. Um, but you can still see the scrapes, which are key. And so it's like before they get all greened up and, and whatnot and, and growing for the summer. So ideally, if I'd never been somewhere and I was like, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm taking this serious. And, I, you know, like I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket this year and like we're going for it. That's when I make my first trip. I'd probably hang some cameras on some scrapes, maybe, uh, make, find, try to find a community scrape or even make my own community scrape and, you know, put some estrus or not estrus, but, um, like buck fever, you know, synthetic scrape, you know, in it, or, you know, scent in it to just try to like, let them know just there, Hey, there's another deer in the area. Like we use this and, uh, you know, go from there. Um, or you could just 
take do the old fashioned, take your foot and kick out a big area and just pee in it. You know, I know a lot of guys do that just to try to let them know that there's a deer in the area um, or they think it is, but maybe hang some cameras then. And then uh, honestly, I'd probably come back in like late July, or early August. And if I, if I couldn't make that one, but if I could, and I was like serious about this thing, I'd go back then and I would be checking everything, seeing if they're hitting these scrapes, what it looks like, if there's trails that are being hit. Um, really at that point, you know, everything's going to be greened up, which is fine. Um, but you might figure out some areas that they're feeding or really kind of hanging out. And like a lot of those deer by that point are kind of back up in their summer through fall grounds. Um, and I feel like they'll kind of hang out like in that zone, like most of late summer through the fall. And when the rut starts, depending where you're at, um, they probably won't be out of that area completely yet because the snow hasn't shoved them down to where they need to go down to winter. So it could be a good time to kind of figure out like, Hey, yeah, there's a lot of deer living right here and let's, let's invest in this. Um, and then obviously have some contingency plans a little lower, depending on what snow and this and that. Um, and so I guess I would be scouting during the summer, spring and summer, trying to figure out where these deer, where I'm seeing the rubs, the scrapes, that type of thing. Cause that obviously means during the rut. And then um, after that, I guess October, it would be in a, and this, this is kind of a, a moving target. If you've hunted an area before, if you have not, um, could be the first of October first, you know, right after elk season, let's go out, let's go look for some stuff. Um, obviously general rifle season in Washington opens kind of the mid October through the end of the month. Um, but I would be probably over there somewhere between like October, first week in October and like Halloween, like somewhere in there, definitely setting up a bunch more cameras, depending if you're hunting a scrape or if you're going to bait or not, or whatever you got going on there. Um, I would be like making my plans and setting stuff up, set my tree stand. I generally, if I come over early, I would, I don't know if I'd set a stand necessarily just in case, well, we're all hunting public land. And so it's like, you know, you get the wrong dude that wanders through and he's like, Hey, that's a nice tree stand. I'm going to take that thing home with me. Um, but after rifle season's over kind of that last few days in October, I'll get pretty, pretty heavy on setting all my stands or ground blinds. Um, then, then, then it's on. So it's like after that Halloween, I mean, dude, like, you know, it's like Montana now go over then set everything up, literally come back, try to figure out when we're going to hunt deer here, but then drive back the next weekend and go check all my stuff. Like, th like this is, this is where the dedication starts and like, how bad do you want it? And then uh, just check everything, go through the whole, the whole, all my stands, be looking for new spots, do some scouting, see if any fresh scrapes or rubs have shown up for like that pre-rut staging kind of activity around that November, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, somewhere in there. Um, then go back, try to hunt here for a week or whatever. And then I'm going back over checking again. And then, uh, depending on what I'm seeing or where I'm hunting, um, you know, you could start hunting or come back and then go back again. And so it's like, dude, like four trips, three, four trips for me is not uncommon. And even when I lived in Washington, it was the same, like that three, four trips around that time of the year, every weekend, it was like, don't, 
everyone knew not to plan anything with me around that time because it was like John's gone, you know, like weekend. He works during the week. He's gone on the weekends. He's going to check whitetail stuff. Um, so I guess like, but this is, I guess, the dedication level and like how bad do you want to do it? Could you go over around end October some stands and stuff? Sure. Um, or could you even just go over, you know, mid-November and set all your stuff up and start hunting, you know, or or whatever that next week or whatever Thanksgiving? Yeah, sure, you could when it opened or wherever. Um, so it's like it kind of just depends on how how much time and effort you want to put into it and how dedicated you want to be. But for me, it's a definite three, four weekend ordeal, um, really trying to hone in on spots and get everything dialed in. Yeah. You know, I had a good podcast with Pottinger a couple years back. Troy Pottinger, folks, look that one up. You just Google Elk Shape Podcast, Troy Pottinger. Uh, did you see the buck he killed this year? Dude, yeah. He's a, okay. he's a machine. I, I love Troy. Like he's, so, he's an inspiration for me. And he's super humble and he's a good person. So, um, Troy said something on that podcast that has always stuck with me and it would be like, let's say Washington season closes here, usually December 15th. That's when he strikes hard. Like he doesn't live too, he'll hunt Washington as well, but let's just say, as soon as his season closes in Idaho, it's usually like December 25th. It's usually Christmas Day or is the last day or something. That's when he goes out and really dissects some of his areas that maybe he didn't punch his tag. And now it's time to go in there. And he's not really shed hunting. And by the way, I've scooped up some mega whitetail sheds off the mountain in December. Those bigger bucks drop earlier, in my opinion. But he's going up. Yeah, he's going up there and he's checking the wind and seeing what the wind's doing that day. And he's like, okay, I got a prevailer out of the Southwest. I'm going to go hike over here four or 500 yards from my stand in an area I never could go during season. And I'm going to see where the beds are. And he starts like locating beds and he can decipher between a buck and a doe bed. You know, look where the pea stain is. Look at the size. And he can start dictating what these bucks, are, where they like to bed based on the prevailer. That's not a word, by the way, prevailer. I just think it sounds cool. But anyways, he's starting to like put the pieces together of where these bucks are most likely to bed based on the prevailing wind. He's understanding their funnels, the way they like to navigate the mountain. He's also finding where the does bed. And these are these are clues for him to key in on, well, when is a buck going to most likely cruise by downwind of a doe bedroom when the does are bedded, middle of the day? How can I get a set in here to where I don't mess up the does? They still bed where they need to bed, but I'm ready to shoot this buck at about 12 o'clock when he's cruising to scent check this. Just blew my mind. Now, you mentioned the buck fever synthetics. So there's a licking branch spray and then there's a spray that you spray into the ground, and it's good to do these community-type scrapes in the summer. I haven't done this yet, John. Can you break that down, what that looks like? Yeah, so, and, and actually, you talk about Troy, and, like, honestly, I picked this up from him. And, you know, it's like, like I said, like, I dude, I love watching that guy because he's a machine. And I think the biggest thing for me, just like anything, is if you think you know something, you don't know everything. And it's yeah. like, you know, like, what can, I, what can I learn from somebody else? And so, dude, I like, 
I'll be honest. It's like, I love just sitting back and watching what Troy's doing because I'm, you know, it's like, what can I learn from this guy and help further my own success? Had a lot of success myself, but it's like, dude, there's always something you could do better. And, um, so I picked it up, you know, and so I seen him making his mock scrapes, making these licking branches, even like he would take and cut you know, a little limb or a tree tie, make his own licking branch. Um, so I actually have done a lot of scouting in my areas and I know them really well. And I found a handful of big community scrapes that have their own licking branches and stuff. These deer, um, use pretty frequently, but if it's in an area where I'm like, Hey, well, here's, you know, some scrapes, some activity. And I'm like, you know, I, I want to make my own and like kind of hone these deer in. Then I do the same thing. I'll kind of try to, I'll go for a hike, look for their bedroom to figure out, you know, where these deer are kind of hanging out for the most part, where the wind is, where a trail is that I think that they might be able to come down that at least I could get into and hang a stand if I wanted to hunt that spot. Um, and then I'll make my own, uh, scrape and licking branch, just like Troy does. Um, so it might clear out a three, four foot circle and kind of dig it down to the dirt or scrape the, the leaves off or whatever there is right there. And then take a branch and take like, you know, some, uh, paracord or something and like tie it to another tree. So then I have a nice branch sticking out with some limbs and stuff that a deer can rub his glands on or she, uh, either, you know, he or she, um, and like leave that scent and Hey, yeah, I'm here, you know, and I actually have pictures and video of those, you know, using the scrape just as much as a buck, obviously during the rut, I feel like, you know, the buck's coming in and hitting those or trying to make his own so he can figure out where they are in the area and hopefully one will come by. But dude, I mean, even like this year though, like I had does coming by, I have a camera set on this one big scrape that I've had for I made that thing years ago and, uh, it, dude, it gets hammered all the time now. And, um, this doe, she's like, well, a couple of them, one, she's there like every day on her own, just like hitting the branch on the ground, doing her own thing. So obviously she's, I mean, letting other deer know she's in the area kind of cool to watch and see, but yeah. So I'll, I'll figure out like you know, on a, whether it's on a bench, like I like finding benches and stuff like that come down, like a couple of two, three, four finger ridges and maybe hit a plateau and it's got like a bench or something in an area. And I feel like those deer will run these ridges down, uh, and, you know, kind of like hang out there and stage and, you know, do their thing feed and whatever. Um, but I feel like it's a good spot. I've found a couple of them where it's a good spot where these deer can come down and then they'll all hit these scrapes and, you know, Hey, you know, maybe you're living over here to the left, but I'm living over here to the right. And then, you know, they kind of use it to, to communicate with each other. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of look for areas like that, or like on an edge of a swamp or like a hard timber kind of area where maybe they're, they're going in and bedding, but like, you don't want to go in and blow them out. So it's like step back to the edge of it and, you know, make your own scrape or whatnot right there and try to pick them up on the edge of that. Um, a lot of it depends where you're hunting. You know, it's like, if you're the type of timber that you have, uh, train that you're in, if it's hit more hilly like i guess like all that kind of plays into it i've just spent so much time over the years like looking at maps you know and onyx and that type of thing that i can kind of look at an area and be like yeah like this is where i want to focus you know kind of i think like most of us that have that have hunted any length of time um so maybe i can pick stuff up easier than somebody else but i don't know i mean that's that's kind of my 
my thing. So the scrapes, I've used that buck fever stuff and I seen Troy using it a long time ago and, uh, I've used it and had really good luck with it. So, yeah, they, there's all these different ones that they make now, but it's still, it's buck fever synthetics. And obviously like there's the, I remember there's one kind that you're supposed to spray on the licking branch versus there's one kind that you dump into the ground and you got to wear gloves and, um, there's a whole like scent game to whitetail that we got to get into a little bit, but what were you going to say? There, well, there's like, yeah, I think the one it's called like forehead gland or something. And then there's another one that's like, um, whatever they're all purpose, like all seasons, like scrape or something like that. I can't remember what that one's called, but the forehead one you spray on the branches and then the other one, it's like, a, there's a green one and a blue one. Um, I'm drawing a blank yeah. on the, but that you dump it or spray it in the ground there. And, uh, yeah so then they have the rut ones too though they have like a buck mature buck and then a doe and estrus those dude i'm telling you right now if you get any of those estrus ones like the doe and estrus they're hot estrus the red moon i think it's called or whatever it is yeah just uh don't ever get that crap on your hands or gloves or anything because dude it is so strong i i mean i did it a couple of years ago just by accident had my gloves on my wool gloves and i went to dump some of that stuff and it came out and it ran down my freaking fingers and i didn't have another pair of gloves with me that day my hand and every time i like you know bring your hand by your face to itch your head or whatever and it was so stinking bad it, it, that stuff is nasty so just try to avoid that mm, yeah been there done that and uh i i remember buying code red or something like it came in a glass case and it was like the really it reminds me of anchorman when he gets like the whatever the black panther uh, yeah yeah it's just the, the nastiest Hello? smelling yes yeah you put that out there well do the mountain bucks man like we're talking 2023 now like looking ahead so you live eight hours away from where you want to potentially whitetail hunt so step by step you're gonna come over are you going to come over in the spring or are you going to wait till the summer? And um, how many cameras are you going to bring? And how many miles will you hike? How will you utilize Onyx? Um, take us through. Yeah, so see this year, um, I, I kind of, I mean, I've been hunting the same area for a long time. And um, I've had a lot of success there. Just I know where the deer travel. It's something that I've learned, you know, for, well, most of my, most of my tail career. I guess you want to put it that way. And, um, this year I really, the last couple of years, I've had a lot of predators. I mean, I'm talking bears, wolves, like, you know, the whole, the whole deal. So, um, kind of, kind of disappointed in that, but it is what it is. And, um, did I lose you? Yes. Uh, where, where was I at? I think you said bears, cats, and wolves. Cats and wolves. So, yeah, I've actually, like the last few years, I've had a lot of problems with cats and wolves. And um, bears, coyotes, you name it. So I'm a little disappointed in that. Um, I had a, four wolves on one of my cameras this year. And uh, I had coyotes at another, cats, bears, bears on every camera. And um, so my area is really getting hammered with predators. So I need to find some new spots. So I'll be honest, I'm, now it's kind of, uh, there's still a few there that I'd probably still hunt, but it's like, I need to reinvent 
myself. Like I need to reinvent my spots. So I'll probably honestly come over in the spring and just like I've done in years past when I was trying to learn new areas and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to start hiking around and I don't know, I'll be honest. I don't know how many miles I'm going to hike. Could be five, could be 50. Like, you know, like, I mean, it, it just depends. And I'll go until I find what I want to find, I guess. And that, that's a big thing for me is I just don't, I don't, quit so it's like i'm gonna go until i end up finding what what i need and then um camera wise i'd really probably like to hang somewhere in the 10 to 20 neighborhood i'll be honest like a lot um mainly if i am going to a new area i really want to just canvas it i mean top to bottom depending wherever i'm at to try and get as much data and intel as i can then i probably honestly will make another trip back over in the summer and just, you know, do the whole family thing and be like, Hey, let's go over, let's go camping that way. You know, the other half feels involved and maybe have some friends come or whatever, you know, so it, you kind of make an eventful weekend out of it, go check these cameras, see what's on them, do some more scouting in the summer. Um, and then hopefully by that point, I've already got pictures of, or found, you know, a or two that I'm like, Hey, yeah, there's a deer here. Like, let's kind of focus on this. And then honestly, I'd probably come back this year, beginning of October and I'll set out yep. some stuff. And, um, I don't know, in certain few places, depending what I was doing, I'd probably throw some bait out around then just to try and, you know, suck in a deer or two around the area and see what's there. Um, I don't, wouldn't do it at all of them, depending, you know, if I had some smock scrapes and that type of thing, just because I don't really want the deer to be alerted that there's anything unusual going on in the area. But some areas I feel like you can get away with throwing a little bait out, but others you can't. So it kind of, you got to have both games. So then I'll come back and really towards the end of October, like start going hard. But yeah, new year this year, I'm going to be probably making three, four trips before I even get to deer season. Yeah. And then I like that you might sprinkle some bait out in October, even though it's not quite, you know, so definitely tell us like, what does that look like? What kind? Um, and then let's talk about the differences or nuance between ground blind and tree stand and what the deer will tolerate, what they won't. I've killed bucks out of both setups. I have to do a lot more than your average guy to mitigate being cold just cause I'm straight up. I'm just suck at staying warm. And so the older I get, the more and more I dig the ground blind, although it does really narrow your field of view. But uh, I'd like to hear you talk about what you're putting on the ground and then the nuance between tree stand and ground blind. Yeah. So the the problem that we run into over there uh, in a lot of that country is the cattle. You know, like a lot of that is like free open range where farmers cut their cattle loose and they run all over the mountains over there. So if you put any food out or anything, and this is where, like I said, you got to be careful of where you're putting stuff out and what you're putting out because, um, a, your deer might not even get a chance to eat it. It could be just all cattle. And if they come in and find, I mean, you're, you're done. Like they're going to hang out there cause they think it's a feed zone now. So yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're going to be in a mess. So that being said, uh, what like early like that and especially whitetails like they love it i mean everyone knows it is alfalfa i mean it's like you know just throw out a little bit of alfalfa um make sure that you use the certified weed free hay or i mean uh, alfalfa that they sell it'll say certified on it so there's no noxious weeds or whatever um and i'll buy like a compressed bale of that or bales but take a flake or two off of that and just sprinkle some out um 
And then the other thing I might do is um, Purina, they have their deer blocks or whatever. It's like uh, got like wet cob and molasses and everything kind of mixed in it. And maybe I'll put one of those out just pretend to last a little longer and, um, you know, just give the deer a little something else to, to kind of nibble on. Um, but that, like I said, that depends on my area. The problem with that block that I am not a fan of is if you get a bear that comes in and finds it, he's eating the whole thing and it's done. Obviously can't shoot bears, you know, over there anyways, over bait. So you're, I mean, you got to kind of let it go. So, um, it is what it is, but the deer, you know, they'll still come around, but they'll get spooked. So it's like bears hanging out there all the time. And I've had a lot of them over the years that'll do that. Um, frustrating as can be, cause it'll run all the deer out. So I, I tend to, if I'm going to bait, I'll stick to just some alfalfa and just, you know, Hey, here, find this. Um, so that, that, that would kind of be what I would do there. Um, and, and honestly, I don't like putting ton of it out. Obviously, you know, you only get your 10 gallons, but like, I'm, I'm thinking like not even a half, like two gallons, you know, like if you were to stick it in a bucket, like not much because I don't, if it rains, which that time of year in Washington is definitely time for rainy season. Um, if it rains on that stuff, I mean, obviously you can't avoid it, but the, it goes bad. And so the deer, they're not a big fan of it. And you can tell like on cameras and stuff. And that's why I don't rely hundred percent heavily on baiting like some people do it's like i like to have my spots where i know there's a scrape there or a rub line or a trail that this buck's going to travel that way i can still catch him without the use of you know it's like you can throw some scent out or something like that um so i guess that's that um then i guess like let's talk about the ground blind thing and the tree stand thing so i have spots where the timber is big enough that i can hang trees and, and get up in a tree high enough and be comfortable. I have other spots where the trees are too short to hang a tree stand effectively, or it's way too thick. So you need to ground blind it because you need to be able to get in eye level with them. And, and that's the only way you're going to cover yourself. Done both kill bucks like you out of both. Um, I do like the ground blind game for the fact of a, if you get one of those nice, lovely November days over there where it snowed and then it decides to warm up and melt on you, you're not getting wet. Um, which seems pretty common that time of year over there. It just can never just get cold and stay cold. Like this year it did. And this year was like we said, one of the best conditions ever, but the deer just weren't doing anything. Um, but I do like the ground blind because you can get away scent and movement. I feel like you get away with a lot more scent in the area. Like as far as um, like it doesn't travel, it doesn't seem to travel out of the blind or like all over. It's weird. Cause you're on the ground. You think that it would be going everywhere, but Dude, it traps it for some reason. And then um, your movement wise too, if you're trying to get your food, get lunch, like whatever you're, whatever you're trying to do. I mean, it's like, we all know when you're sitting in a tree stand, I hang my pack, right. Kind of have a hook right on the side of the tree right behind me. Well, if you need to eat, you're going to stand up, you're going to turn around, open your pack, get your food out. Got to put it on the seat of the tree stand, dude. I mean, all these things. I mean, you're out in the open, you're making movement like deer. I mean, if there's a deer out there, even in the brush and he, you know, you don't even see him, he sees you game over. So, um, and then the other thing with the tree stand is I've always hung my tree stands at about 22 to 25, six feet. And the reason I get over the 22 foot area 
is thermals is so they tend to change around that 22 foot area to where hopefully you're not going to get winded as bad i've had a few in the past that we would hang at like 18 to 20 feet let alone that you're closer to the ground easier for them to look up and see you i like being up high so that way i can get away with more because i mean dude it's funny but the extra five six seven eight feet up in the tree it's way harder for them to like pick you out and look way up in the tree but I've got away with so much more scent wise, um, you know, being that high. So the only got to pay attention to then shot angle, making sure where you're shooting that you're hitting correct, aiming correctly. So that way the arrow comes out where you want it to, and you're still hitting the vitals. You're definitely changing some things, not in your favor, the higher that you go in the tree, but other things you put in your favor. So, um, yeah, that's, that's that. And the other thing about the tree is the wind like if you're out there and it is a somewhat windy day you know like i mean even if, if it's five miles an hour like i don't care dude that wind hitting you in a tree stand it can be cold you know i mean it makes it feel like it's way colder than it is um so the ground blind obviously it helps keep some of that off of you um there the, the wind itself so it feels a little more comfortable in there but the one thing about the ground blind is you well know is it limits your shooting opportunity. And so it's like, you've got a little window that you're shooting out of now where you might get, you know, uh, let's say, a, I, I don't know, a, a toward wide left to right area that you're shooting versus in a tree stand. I mean, dude, you could shoot, you know, 180 degrees easy and sometimes more around you, like behind you or whatever. <clears throat> and turn around yep i mean personally i'm a tree guy like i mean if you said hey what what would you rather sit in i'd be like a tree stand all day just for my shooting opportunity and because you know it's like i feel like you need everything that you can get opportunity wise to these deer um but i mean i've had a lot of success in a ground blind in areas you couldn't hang a tree stand too so it's like kind of one half dozen another but probably better be well versed in both you know, you maybe you just never know where the spot's going to end up being. There's a couple things you've said too that have like that are interesting. The one being like um, trying to find like a dual purpose area where it's a it's a main trail or corridor. It does have a scrape or rub line, and then you can add a bait feature in addition to. Not always, but it's nice to have maybe double down on certain spots. Is it close to the bedding? Is it close to the feeding? Maybe one of your spots is just really well protected in those high wind days where if you were to sit in a high on a ridge, uh, it happened to my buddy Tim this year where we compared notes and he's like, I didn't see a single deer today. And I was like, um, I saw the most deer I've ever seen. And we just kind of compared and control. I'm like, well, I'm in the canyon. I'm in the bottom. And he's like, I'm on top of the ridge getting beat up by the wind. Well, no wonder I saw all the deer. The deer moved to where they were wind protected. So having multiple sets based on the wind and I mean, dude, we could podcast about this forever. I think the takeaways are is like, um, this ain't checkers, it's chess. And that's why we're doing that's why we're talking about it as grown ass men just talking about deer hunting because it's that it's 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 kind of cool to have something that's so can be so involved. Now, sure, you could just go out and throw a bell of compressed alfalfa out randomly, throw a tree stand up and kill a deer. I admit it, that can happen, but you won't do it consistently. I guarantee it. 
in order to do it consistently like you have, man, you really got to do all this homework. You were talking about four trips, man. That's eight hours one way. That's 64 hours of it in your truck, let alone putting the cameras and checking the cards and bringing the food. And um, you ain't getting paid for this. You're spending money to do this, man. That's pretty exciting. Every time, just money going out, nothing coming in. And these deer don't pay you back either. <laughs> so no. <laughs> they uh they don't it's not like they write you a check at the end of it and say hey i'm gonna reimburse you for you've spent on me thank you so i guess how uh, like this year you went for seven days straight are you sitting dark to dark every day yeah so i'll get in the stand actually i was there i think eight or nine days um well whatever told yeah i spent one day checking stuff but um yeah generally i'll get out there in about six in the morning in my stand, wherever I'm at, which is generally about 30, 45 minutes before daylight. And then I sit all day until dark. And I mean, it's, it's like, I don't get out of the stand or blind or whatever. I sit there all day. Um, that being said over the years, I've had some success right off the bat, like right at daylight, that first hour, most of the success is 10, 10, 30, on but a lot of it is that like 3 30 to like 4 15 area like right there at the end of the day um so it can make for long days sometimes i'll sit all day and not anything until freaking four o'clock and then it's like wow i just wasted all day but then it's like when it's the buck you're after it doesn't matter but it can be a long taxing day of sitting there to not see much because we're not in a high density deer area like the midwest um but I feel definitely the afternoon, I would say that last hour of daylight is like your best. I mean, if, if I had to like pick a time and you were like, hey, you can only sit one hour today. When are you going to sit? I'd like, well, 3.30 to 4.30. You know what I mean? Like like that that time frame right there is when I'm going to be sitting. So, um, but it's like, why, why limit yourself? You know, I mean, that's why I sit all day because it's like, I guess you just never know when it's going to happen. And the fact is I'm already eight hours, you know, from home. So, I mean, I'm, I don't want to sit around and just waste time. Like I'm already away from home. Might as well go sit in the stand. So I guess, you know, it's like, I look at it that way too. Cause it's like, you just never know what's going to happen. So, um, but yeah, I like, I like the all day sit. Do you pee in a bottle or do you let her rip? Dude, that that's a tough one. So I actually carry like one of those big extra large Nalgene bottles. And I always have peed in a bottle, even like in a in a ground blind. But then I got my dad over there. He just stand up in the tree stand and pee off the tree stand. No care in the world. I'm like, hey, like we're sharing these trees here, buddy. Like, you know, what, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Because I'm like, now if I go sit there, you just peed on the ground. But the weird thing is, I will say, Dude, I, I cannot remember, like, honestly, a time that has it has spooked many deer. Like, I mean, they, I don't know, Phel Phelps and Dirk and I were talking about it this year and about how it was back there in um, Kansas and all those guys just pee off the stand. And Phelps is like, well, give it a shot and see. And I'm like, whatever. So I was like, next day, I'm like, okay, whatever. I wasn't seeing a ton anyways. Like, I'm just going to pee off the stand. Dude, this little dink buck, little one by two comes in. Not... 20 minutes after I peed. So, I mean, obviously it's pretty fresh walked right up. Oh, another deer. And just didn't even care. And like walked by, I've always been so scared to do it over the years and like always peed in a bottle. But after doing that, I was like, maybe it's not as big a deal as I thought. 
does it change the fact that you're still putting scent out? I mean, that's the one thing I look at is like, you are still scent in the area by every time you pee or walk in or walk out. So I'm like, it makes me nervous, but I'll in a bottle. Do you prefer to stay seated and shoot or stand and shoot? And why? I'm a seated guy mainly just because it's like I'll set my, my bow and my hanger and everything right here where I can just stick my arm just slightly out to my right, grab my bow. Like I don't have a lot of movement versus having to stand up, make that extra movement and everything else. Um, and sometimes like my stands are set in so thick, like in brush choked areas. By the time the deer pops out, I mean, it's like I'm seeing them at 20 yards or 30 yards. You know, I mean, it's like some of my spots, I, I don't get a chance to see them coming from 80 yards off to where I could stand up. So I like sitting. Um limits how your movement sometimes you know of swinging around to the other side if he moves but i feel like at that point if he goes by me like i'm I'm gonna be able to get up and move anyways what about you i, I shot this year sitting down i'm glad i did because i would have spooked the deer if i stood and i i like it dude honestly historically all day sits i would stand up from 10 to 12 because that's when i have seen the most mature bucks historically speaking is between 10 and 12 and it's Never in a predictable spot. So I, 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 you know what I mean. It's just like you got to be ready. And I'm not like grunting and rattling the whole time. I'm just like bucks are on their feet cruising during the rut that last week in November when I'm up in the stand. But um, no, I think I'm going to try sitting more. I think it's just you can, that's all you really are going to have an opportunity for. And for me, Whitetail is all about getting to full draw undetected without them hearing or seeing you. That's the game. Um, you got to get into daylight. You got to get them to daylight when you're there. You got to get them to daylight when you're there and get your bow pulled back undetected. It's hard. And that's why we're talking about as grown ass men just talking about deer all day. Cause it's uh this is an elk hunting podcast, but uh, we like our, uh, we like our public land whitetail mountain bucks, man. They're addicting. Cool guys. Well, John, um, quick plug for you. Uh, for those that didn't know, John's my business partner at the elk collective. He's the guy who basically makes that thing well oiled and, um, we're actually going to do another podcast for that right now. So we've got a jam off on this one. Um, we're going to go over John's 2022 success. He killed a hammer of a bull right after his wife killed a hammer of a bull. Right? You sh- you shot second, right? You're a good husband. You let your... So that's... Hey, I let her go first. I even said, which one do you want to shoot? And she said, whichever one comes in first. That's the right answer, and get, give her a fist bump, Kaylee. That's that's a good that's a good little hunter right there. So, guys, be on the lookout for that. That's uh, John runs Apex Advertising. So, I get a lot of people that listen to this podcast and get inspired to do their own side hustle, and I'm all about that. I think you should have multiple income streams. So, when it comes time to make a logo, uh, I know my buddy uh, just with just sent me the hat, Mason Lemay Elk Stream. John did that one. Turned out beautiful, man. Um, that cat came to Elk Shape Camp, the first one ever, five years ago. Hasn't experienced tag soup since that camp. Super, super, super proud of him, dude. And uh, his logo, dude, that, that's sick, man. And then uh, Wild Meat Gear. My other buddy started a company. I sent him to you. So if you guys need logo work, graphic design work, that's who I, I use John. John's best in the business. He won't advertise for himself. So I will. Apex Advertising. I'll leave a link in the show. Um, he's is busy, so get your orders in early if you uh, need a consult. And uh, John, thanks for coming on today. What else? What else you got? 
Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good on that. I mean, we could talk whitetails for a long time, talk clothing systems, talk setup. We could talk a lot, but, um, we could, we'll, maybe we'll do a round two and cover some more stuff for some of these people and a little more, maybe we'll do a gear one. Oh, we have to, because I'm like the heater bodysuit King and you don't even use that. You, you got other stuff and I got the big booties. Do you have the big booties that go over the boots? No, I don't have those. I just wear my boots with the setup with heated insoles and some other stuff there I got going on. So, Do you have the heated core? Like I got Numa heated core. Okay. Yeah, so we have different styles, but um, I'm always looking to evolve. Yeah, we'll do a round two for sure because I'm getting serious about Whitetail again and I'm advertising it. So, all right, guys, separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. What would you get if you had a $5,000 Vortex Optics shopping spree? For me, I'm getting UHD 10s or 12s. Definitely going to get a rangefinder like the 3000 or the 4000 Razor. What would you get? Are you in the market for a new spotter or rangefinder from Vortex? Maybe some of their tripods that are made out of carbon because they're super light? You could probably get all that and then some, plus an additional 500 bucks to shop at Vortex online apparel store. Vortex where? All you got to do is head on over to joinvortexnation.com for your chance to win. That's joinvortexnation.com. Sign up for their e-newsletter. Takes like 10 seconds, no catch. You're automatically entered. The deadline is March 31st. Get on it. Thanks for listening to the Elk Shape Podcast. We appreciate your support. We know you have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. So thanks for choosing ours. We hope you learned something. We hope you leave inspired, motivated, excited, and more determined to chase your goals in 2023. This podcast is brought to you by Numa Outdoors. We do have a discount code. It's Elkshape20. It takes 20% off your purchase. Vortex Optics, we have two discount codes. The first one being for eurooptic.com. If you're in the market for a rangefinder bino spotter from Vortex, enter the discount code ELK10 and it'll take 10% off. Also, Vortex Wear. A lot of the stuff I wear around the house is Vortex Wear, and why wouldn't you? The discount code is Elkshape, takes 20% off Vortex Wear. Onyx Hunt, become an elite member, especially with application season. You want to have access to Hunt Reminders so you don't miss a draw deadline, as well as Top Rut so you can get accurate, up-to-date draw odds, plus study your maps all in one. Discount code Elkshape, takes 20% off elite memberships. Matthews Archery out of Sparta, USA, shooting the phase 4, 29, and 33. Leaning towards the 29 for elk season, just because it's a little more compact, and they just nailed it out of the park they continue to make these teeny tiny incremental adjustments to these bows and they're more streamlined and quieter and dead in the hand MagView digiscoping this is the magnet so it slaps on the back of your phone and you can digiscope through your spotter or binos discount code elkshape takes 10 percent off this is super slick you don't need a phone case check out MagView link in the show notes i've been running kafaru since 2019 i've never looked back i've tried a lot of different backpacks there is not a better frame on the market than kafaru so check them out I do think the Hoodlum is probably the best bag for elk hunting because you can go day hunt or multiple nights, get a spike camp bag. Also check out their Kafaru hip quiver. I use that a lot for shooting in the backyard. Kafaru International now. They're out of Wyoming, made in the USA. Crispy boots. I'm rocking the Colorado twos and the Laponia twos. Those are my go-tos. And I always put sheep feet in my boots. I take out the insole. Sheep feet, I have a discount code. It is elk shape. It takes 10% off. And that is a solid investment for custom orthotics that will keep your feet happier. And happy feet means that you're going to get into more elk. Wilderness Athlete, super clean brand. I take a multi-fish oil midnight build. I take their protein. I take their brute strength post-workout. And I think they make super clean products. We have a discount code. It is still elk shape 22 for the time being. Check the show notes to see any changes to that. 30% off your first purchase. Discount code Elkshape22. Wilderness Athlete, a supplement company, not a marketing company. Another dope brand made in the USA is Marsupial. They make the best vinyl harness out there, period. I've tried so many, and the Marsupial is in a league of its own. 
you can also customize it to whatever binos that you're rocking. Check out Marsupial's website to learn more. This is made in America, and this is something that I find to be overlooked in a lot of instances. So check out Marsupial's bino harness. They have some other bow cases, hand warmers, gun cases, and again, made in the USA. Black Rifle Coffee Company. Coffee is life. And I love this brand. I love what they stand for. They're pro-American, pro-2A. They make really good coffee. You can have coffee delivered to your door, and you can have it in a cadence that suits how much coffee you drink. Make sure you try the Just Black. That's probably my all-time favorite. Flying Elk is number two. But try them all. See which ones you dig and support BRCC. The discount code is ELKSHAPE. We'll take 15% off. Baku e-bikes out of Ogden, Utah. E-bikes for me is more of a lifestyle. Like um, my wife has one. I have one. Date nights, a lot of times there's just an e-bike ride up a mountain, watch a sunset, maybe have an adult beverage. But also I use them for whitetail hunting, getting in and out of tree stands or checking trail cameras. Uh, maybe some spring bear hunting and logging roads and a little bit of elk hunting. But the bottom line is where legal. They're awesome. They have class one, two, or three options in one bike itself. I recommend the Mule. Get a thousand water. And discount code Elkshape will take $300 off that investment. Last but not least, BlackOvis.com. That's where I get all my gear and I use my own discount code. It is Elkshape. It'll take 10% off. Free shipping and world-class customer service. Rep Fitness is the workout gear that I utilize in my gym. I do have an affiliate link. I don't have a discount code for them, but they are more affordable than other brands and free shipping. And believe me, when you're shipping workout gear, you're going to want free shipping because freight will kill you. So check out Rep Fitness. They're out of Denver, Colorado. Crossover symmetry for the shoulders. Discount code Elkshape will take 20% off. Get the hip halo band as well as their shoulder kit. Get all of it and do your prehab so you don't have to do rehab. Alien Gear holsters. I have a link in the show notes. You can enter the discount code Elkshape10 to get 10% off any holster. Guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the companies that support us. We'll catch you on the next one.